The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com, all one word. There you can ask questions via the listener inquiry button and listen to old archive shows as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all and uh, hear you and everything COVID-19 related. Yeah, it's good to see you, Scott. Good morning, Scott. I can't believe it's the May 2-4 weekend. We're here. <laughs> wow. It, it's, it's a real, uh, what, a, what a memory this is going to be for all of us this weekend. And, and that is now how many weeks in a row without a haircut? Week number nine. Week number nine. Oh, <laughs> my wife has been laughing at my hair. It's growing straight out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Scott since smart enough. He uh, ordered clippers, and he did a little self-job there and did a great job. And I think I'll be boring those uh, maybe in the next week or two. All right. So we're certainly starting to hear today uh, or this week how businesses are slowly starting to open up. Uh, we're starting to see gas prices go up a little bit. What, what, what should we be cautious of? What are we aware of as things start to reopen again? Well, Scott, I, th- I was thinking about uh, in the context of how we're transitioning from the I self-isolation into the back to some form of normal life. And, you know, what do you, when people are thinking about their financial future relative to businesses reopening, we're hoping certainly that people are, are going to be able to return back to work, those that have lost their job. And the time frame for that is obviously still in the government's hand completely. At the same time, businesses are trying to prepare for what does that mean in terms of additional precautions, additional cleaning, addition, and maintaining, of course, social distancing as well. And But I think when it comes to the financial world, the, the biggest concern we still have is a sort of second wave of, of COVID hitting us. And I think that um, uh, we call this headline the headline fear or the headline risk. If the headlines in the paper and the headlines on the radio and news are all about people getting sick and dying again with large, in large numbers, that could mean a real shakeup again in terms of the stock market. And uncertainty around that is something that always drives volatility in the short term. And so if I was an individual today, you know, where, where do we go now and what do we do? And I think about it in sort of two contexts. If you if you don't feel financially stable right now, in other words, um, you know, you're concerned about your employment, whether your job will still be there when you come back, or if your current job is still going to be valid, um, you know, has your income changed? Do you have less income now? So, or do you still have positive cash flow? And what kind of debt do you have? Do you know, is it low debt, mortgage debt, or no debt at all? And, so depending on how you feel in terms of your financial stability, I think the next step it really kind of comes in two, two for a fork in the road. And if you're not feeling financially stable, I think this is a great time to build up your short-term reserve. And we've talked about this before, but I think it really helps, you know, that short-term reserve really helps give you peace of mind. And so what we're talking about is that emergency fund, that backstop in case something comes along or employment doesn't happen quick enough or 
government money doesn't come in quick enough. And typically, you know, we always talk about three months or six months worth of reserve. But for some people, they feel like they have little or no reserve. I mean, just set a target, $1,000, something like that, which is a great goal. And I think by doing that, you can use something, there's products called high-interest savings accounts, and we broker out different different options for clients. And the current one with the highest rate is through Equitable Bank, which is paying you 2%. So it's a pretty good place to park your money relative to where stock markets are going. And... um, I think the next thing then is, is if you are financially stable, your work life has continued, again, you've got positive cash flow, low or no debt, keep on investing. So if you were putting in money on a monthly basis, dollar cost averaging, I think that's something you want to keep doing. And, um, and then if you're an aggressive investor, sort of going out to that far end of the risk spectrum, maybe this is a, a reasonable time to invest. And I think making sure you have a diversified portfolio, either um, – uh, a, a managed portfolio or an ETF. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, but this is a good time to continue to look for those opportunities. So if there's a greater than 10% decline in one day, maybe that's a time to invest some money. But don't take big bets on any particular stock. Again, continue to diversify. I think that makes sense. Another thing I pe- think people should be thinking about is how to pay down debt. And continuing on that mindset, You know, how do I stabilize my finances so that, again, if either this continues or if it happened again, are we in good shape? And for those people that are maybe struggling and they need access to some money, you know, maybe dipping into the TFSA, the tax-free savings account, is okay to do right now. I prefer that over the RRSP. Because RRSP, you have withholding tax and other tax implications to doing that. And then also you could look at a home equity line of credit or some borrowing. Do not do not use your credit cards. And even though interest rates have gone down dramatically in a lot of lending products, credit cards are still the highest interest type of lending that you can use. So keep the credit card spending uh, at check, pay off the balance, and work on a plan to pay off that balance if you have some. And I think sort of if you kind of steer yourself around those with a goal being, how do I just get peace of mind through all of this and maintain my financial goals going forward. And I think don't have any regrets of things you should have done or could have done or would have done. Now is the time to think about what do we do going forward. And uh, I think if you follow some of those ideas, you're on the right track. And I know there was also some announcements today, just sort of on a different note, but in terms of supporting our uh, our senior clients as well. Uh, yes. Uh, back, back on Tuesday, they uh, announced that uh, people over 65 collecting their old age security um, they have announced it. They have not passed it yet. So, again, we expect everything to be passed. Uh, we haven't come across anything that has not been passed. But they will get a $300 tax-free top-up if they're getting their old-age security. And if you are getting guaranteed income supplement, you'll get an additional $200 on top of that. Now, this is a one-time. This isn't monthly, but this is a one, you know, one-shot deal. But, again, what they're looking at is there's some extra costs, I guess, seniors are having in terms of having delivery of groceries, delivery of uh, pharmaceuticals, and, uh, you know, this is one way to help out. So I, you know, personally, um, just one more thing, because it seems to be the only area that was kind of overlooked. If you were working, you would qualify. uh, If your job got reduced because of COVID-19, you would qualify for the CURB or employers who may get the employee um, enhancement 
uh, paying, helping with the payroll, or if you're a student, you would get up to $1,250 a month. But the, the people that stopped working um, in the uh, seniors, they would get nothing extra. So this is, I guess, uh, the one area that they had not done a whole lot about. So this is an area that they've stopped. No, funny enough, I did talk to one of my clients, and he was, he, sorry, he is 68 years old, and he's still working. But he uh, stopped working because of the COVID. So here he is. He's able to get his old age security. And because of the, he stopped working because of the COVID, he would also qualify for the, the uh, emergency response benefit. So there is some areas where you can double dip, but not a whole lot. It's, uh, generally speaking, it would be for um, people still working well, uh, well being over 65. Now, yes, as far as uh, it's interesting, Andy was going over a lot of the areas of people that are kind of struggling a little bit. And I know there's a you know, high unemployment right now. It may be up to 15%, but that still leaves. And I know I, you know, I use silver lining here. There's 85% still working. And the ones that are working, those ones that are building up a bank account or an emergency fund, absolutely, because, again, you don't know how long you may be working, depending on your job. Uh, certain areas are actually hiring. So it's actually interesting. I went to a, a bike store, and you know, they're actually extremely busy. And I talked to somebody else in the business, and their sales of inner tubes for their bikes have rocketed over 100% increase in one month than the same month last year because everybody is <laughs> dusting off their bicycles, uh, finding out the inner tubes are flat, and they're out uh, pumping up those tires and getting things going again. So certain industries are, are actually doing quite well. But again, uh, if you're one of those areas that are doing well, um, you're still likely not spending as much because you're not able to uh, spend it on, generally speaking, dinners out. Um, you can get curb pickup, but again, uh, you're still not spending as much there because when you add uh, perhaps drinks on the t- on your tab um, and other things that you may have dessert or hors d'oeuvres or things you may not get on a pickup, your 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 bill is generally less, and you're not taking trips. So those people, they're finding their cash flow has never been better, and there is some opportunity perhaps to. Again, we've talked in the last few weeks of topping up tax-free savings account or RSPs. Uh, you know, depending on, again, every situation is so different, and this is where you need to speak to your financial planner. You know, it, it's interesting. You, you take a look at people that work with an advisor versus ones that don't, and the ones that do have at least double the net worth than ones that don't. And it's not because the rate of return is better. It's because we're coaching people along the way to make those right decisions in order to maybe, again, here's an opportunity to be buying lower. Um, I know there's a, generally speaking, there's been more people taking money out of the markets than adding to the markets. And those are, generally speaking, the do-it-yourselfers. And, of course, when you're selling, when the markets are down, you're, you're, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be buying while the markets are down. So, again, this is where having some guidance along the way, having that bounce-back advice, saying, okay, what should I do here, Andy or Don? Um, it's great to have a second opinion at this time. And I'm, not, I'm sure you've had a lot of these conversations, Andy. Well, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, that I want to talk about in our next section, too, is I think, you know, what happens if you live too long? <laughs> but Not that COVID is going to shorten our lives, but uh, it continues to be one of the, uh, the conversations I'm having with clients and sort of comes along the line of, uh, you know, one of my biggest fears is running out of money. And uh, how do we do, how do I cope with that? And what are some strategies around it? We are planning your financial future. Uh, did you, so, Don, how many bicycles do you own now? 
did you did you come did you come away from the shop without a purchase? <laughs> we'll leave it at that. All right, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now. Leave a message at nine zero five five two nine seventy one sixty five and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about seniors and how COVID-19 has affected their lives moving forward. Yes, and uh, as I just mentioned about the extra benefit that will be coming, it should be coming in the next few weeks, is the extra $300 for Canadians that are getting their old age security and $200 if you are getting the guaranteed income supplement. What I was a little surprised at there is 6.7 million seniors getting old age security right now. Okay, that part didn't surprise me. That made, that made sense. The surprising part was 2.2 million of those people are getting guaranteed income supplements. So basically a third of Canadians that are over 65 collecting old age security, their income is low enough that they're also get, getting guaranteed income supplements. So that's, uh, that was a little surprising. I thought it would be a lot less than that. I thought maybe it might be a tenth not a third. So basically, you know, from that number alone, you know that there's a lot of seniors that are, are, are making it. This extra $500 will make a difference in their life. Let, let me put it that way. So as far as the old age security goes, though, it's been around for quite some time. And basically, if you are 65 years old been, and you have lived in Canada for 40 years, after the age of 18, you get the maximum amount of old age security, which is $613.53. And that is indexed, um, as most seniors know, every so often. And, but that is what the current amount is. So that's $7,362 a year at 65. Now, what if you didn't live the whole 40 years after that time? You moved to a different country for a period of time? Well, that's what I said. If, if you didn't live 40 years, you didn't have to. You still can get a partial old age security. And you simply still have, you just have to put an application in. So if you lived in Canada for over 10 years, and you're currently, you're currently 65 and applying for old age security, you will get whatever amount over 10 years. So if you would say 11 years, you would get 11 40th of that maximum amount. Now, if you are living outside of Canada, let's say you move to, call it England, for example, and you're living there, if you apply for your old age security, you must have lived in Canada for 20 years, at least 20 years, in order to get any benefit. So if you did live, live here for 20 years and you are now applying for it, but you live abroad at this stage, you would, you would then get that percentage of years over 40. So if you lived in Canada for 25 years, you would get 25 40th of $613 a month. So again, it's not a bad deal. It's still, you know, it's a fair bit of income when you add it all up, especially, you know, you take you and a spouse or a common-law partner. Um, at the same token, they also have some... Social Security agreements with over 50 countries. 
And I was unaware of this, actually, until we kind of looked at this before the show today. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, okay, so if you had to have your 10 years, and you had only eight years in Canada, I would just assume, well, you didn't qualify. But if you lived those two years in Portugal, well, those add up, because that was one of the 50 countries. So you take those eight years plus two years, and you're over the 10. However, you don't get 10 over 40 years. 10 divided by 40 times your $613, you get only the eight. But at least you qualify. So you get eight fortieths of, of that amount of money. So not super complicated, but at the end of the day, it's always worth, ap- worth applying for. Now, I know a few years ago, and it's probably about five years ago, they uh, allow people to delay getting their old age security. Now, this makes a lot of sense. In fact, this week alone, I spoke to somebody that is 65, and he's going to be making, you know, continue working where he is now and earning over 128000 a year. And he will be looking to retire at 67. Well, if he just simply allowed the old age security to come in, 100% of it would be clawed back. Because once you make over 128000 a year, you, do know, you, you get 100% clawback. So you, you do not get any of your $613. And the clawback starts at 79000 and 15 cents on the dollar is clawed back until 128000 when it's all gone. By the way, that extra little bonus the government discussed this past week, it's the same deal. If you're making over 128000 a year, you will not get that $300 uh, because you're not getting the old age security anymore. It's all clawed back. You're also not going to get that bonus, that tax-free bonus this year. So there is some tax planning involved here, but some people say, okay, well, maybe I should just delay the old age security till 65 sorry, till 70, because I could get a 65, but I'm going to delay the 70, because I hear it's a good thing for the Canada Pension Plan. Well, they don't have, it's not the same amount of money, because you'll get a 42% increase on your Canada Pension Plan, you're only going to get a 36% increase on your old age security. The break-even works out to be age 84. So for most people, I'd suggest taking it at 65. That being said, if you are going to get a clawed back, you definitely do not want to take it at that point. You delay it until the clawback is no longer going to happen. And it does give some tax planning initiatives, too, in terms of how do you withdraw your RSPs. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, finagling you should be in, definitely financial planning decisions made around the old age security, very similar to the Canada Pension Plan. Poss- you know, may not be quite as lucrative, but at the same time, still some great decisions need to be made. Now, on the guaranteed income supplement side, if you have no other income other than your old age security, you will get the maximum guaranteed income supplement of $916 a month. So that's about $11,000 a year. Now, if you make $5,000 from a different source, then you will get about $7,700 a year or $650 a month. If you're making $10,000, and this would be things such as your Canada pension plan or investment income, you would get... uh, $358 $358 a month or four grand a year. Once you're making 15000 a year in different forms of income other than the old age security, you're down to $149 a month, and you no longer qualify for guaranteed income supplement once your income is over $18,600. So that gives you an idea of, of a single person that would qualify for the guaranteed income supplement when I, when I said earlier that a third of people over 65 are qualifying for this, um, that, that's a, I thought it was a little high and basically not sure quite why. I'm possibly 
um, just the way that things worked out, or maybe they could have used, they ran out of money for different decisions. But that's on a single basis. Now, on a, on a married person, once you make over $24,576 combined, you, you do not qualify for the guaranteed income supplement. And the maximum amount for that is $13,239, and that's as a married couple. So not a big difference between a single person getting about 11000 versus a married couple combined getting 13000 So there's only you know, just, just over $1,000 between the two. Uh, bottom line, though, is the government does work this out for you, so you don't have to apply for it. They simply look at your tax return, and if your income's low enough, they will simply send you the extra money, and it shows up on your old age security check. So really, these are things you can plan for. I generally don't plan for too many people getting guaranteed income supplement because hopefully our idea is to have people definitely not qualify for this, okay? We want people to be earning a little bit more money than that and have a very good income because at this income level, you're not doing a lot of extracurricular things. There's not a lot of travel and so forth. But the next question is, let's say we did create a plan and we built up your nest egg to a million dollars. What would you do then? Well, that's a far better decision, and he's going to help you with that. Yeah, and I think that this is sort of a, a piece when I was looking at it. How far does a million dollars go today in retirement? And um, actually, as you were describing your the, the GIS, Guaranteed Income Supplement Benefit, Don, I was just reminded of a case where I had a couple, and this, is, this would apply to any listeners, where one of the couple was suffering from, in this case it was uh, Alzheimer's, and they had transitioned into a long-term care facility, and the other spouse was um, still independent and living at home. But it, it turned out from a qualification standpoint that, they, that she would qualify at staying at home for guaranteed income supplement by applying for and using a process called involuntary separation. And so this is a form that you would have uh, signed and, uh, and sent in to CRA, and an involuntary separation means that your your spouse's income that they're earning while they're at the long-term care facility is not included in your income, the individual who's still living at home and living independently. And so when we ran these calculations and did and applied for the involuntary separation, the uh, spouse at home was making less than $18,000 and, and qualified for, I think we worked out to about almost $300 a month of guaranteed income supplement that was additional income that they didn't have before. That's a great so, um, just one of these small little things you don't know about when uh, you're thinking about that transition uh, to long-term care too. Um, how far does a million dollars go in retirement? Are you ready, Scott? How, what's your guess? <laughs> Not far enough. <laughs> well, if you're going to stay at home, I would suggest it'll last a long time. Because yeah, we just keep doing this. Uh, <laughs> I think we might be out of a job, Don. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to plan a lot for retirement because you just basically your Canada pension plan, old age security, might cover everything. <laughs> Actually, this is perfect because with the expenses down, we're just getting by, so it's nice right now. Yeah, it's all just breaking even. That's it. That's it. Um, well, you know, this question came up, and I thought it was a it was a good one. So, you know, you have a million dollars, and you're thinking about retirement, and it seems like um, that was the old, you know, if I had a million dollars by the bare naked ladies. But right. I think it's still one of the biggest risks, or the biggest fear for people is running out of money. And um, I remember having a conversation with a client who 
years ago had you know worked through their own retirement plan to a large extent and then they said to me you know what i just damn it i just lived too long so it wasn't that they didn't have a good plan they just hadn't really thought about living to uh late into their 80s and um so they were figured they'd be gone by the age of 80 and uh so it, it's interesting how longevity plays a big role in this decision about running out of money or this issue about running out of money. And someone today who's 65, the average lifespan is to 85. So that's a 20-year period. But um, don't forget, 50% of the average will live longer than 85. So you could be in that category. So I think that, um, that there's a couple of big factors, too, when it comes to taking money out of your portfolio or living off that million dollars in retirement. And the first one that, that I'm thinking about is withdrawals. And so a lot of times people will look back and they might think, you know, well, the historic average of this Canadian stock market has been 9% or the U.S. stock market has been 9%. I'm just going to take 9% out of my portfolio. And um, that seems like a, a good place to start. And uh, <clears throat> so I think the big... The big miscalculation in that is the withdrawals that occur during downturns like we're experiencing right now. And uh, just for example, if, if the market drops 20% and you're taking a 9% withdrawal, how much do you need, what return do you need, Scott, to get back to where you were? I know you're just adding them up. More than I have. <laughs> 20% decline, you're taking out 9%, it's 29%. You actually need 37% rate of return to get back to where you were to make up for that 9%. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that, that miscalculation uh, means that, obviously, you have to be careful for those downturns and, and prepare for them. And the second big concern, you know, with my million dollars is inflation. And, uh, you know, since 1925, inflation has averaged 3%. And so if you, if you need 50 grand to live on for your lifestyle, uh, in 20 years, that's going to be 90,000. And in 30 years, it's going to be 130,000. So if you think about the risk to maintaining your lifestyle or running out of money, um, withdrawals is one, and, and inflation is a big one, number two. It's this insidious thing going on in the background before. So and just when you think about inflation, you know, if you stuck a million dollars in your mattress, uh, you'd be very comfortable. But in 30 years, that million dollars is only worth $400,000 in terms of purchasing power. So it gets chipped away at every year. And, um, you know, we always ask the question a lot at our seminars, Don, whenever we get together is, you know, how many people paid more for their last car than they did for their first house? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the hands go up. So <laughs> um, the third thing about your million dollars is really uh, what is the investment objective of your overall portfolio? So is it, is it to create growth? In other words, I want to increase the value of my capital over time. Is it to maintain so in other words, I just want to maintain the purchasing. So whatever a million dollars is today, I want it to be a million dollars in 20 years or 30 years. Do you want to deplete your million dollars over time? Uh, or do you maybe you have a target dollar amount, for example, it might be a charitable donation as part of your estate, or it might be a legacy to your children. You know, for example, I want to leave each of them 250000 So everybody has a different investment objective with this capital or estate objective, if you want to look at it that way. 
And then finally, the fourth piece, and we'll get into this too in our next section, is you know what are the trade-offs in order to achieve all these things? So when you start to look at the numbers here, you, you have to uh, you may need more money or you may need more to uh, exposure to higher risk investments, uh, but that comes with more volatility. So I want to talk about what that means in terms of increasing exposure to of your portfolio to higher risk investments and how long you can continue to take money out. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button and as well listen to old archive shows. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about a million dollars and how far does that or doesn't it go in retirement? Yeah, just uh, as a quick review, we were talking about the main concerns. Obviously, running out of money for everybody is uh, is a big issue, and we're all living longer and have to pay attention to the withdrawal rates, how much we're taking out of our portfolio, the inflation rate during our retirement phase, and then what is our objective in terms of the portfolio, uh, in terms of the estate? Was it going to grow, maintain, or deplete it over time? And so as you sort of run through that, you come up with, you know, it may turn out that you don't have enough to really run this uh, properly through your retirement. And we use a process called our Monte Carlo analysis. We've talked about this on the radio before, where we're trying to understand the risk associated with the investments you have as you continue to withdraw money at a different level from your portfolio. So we went, uh, some research that I was looking at, we call it our income longevity chart. But if you took a portfolio of a million dollars, and you took out, uh, I'm going to run through four different scenarios. So 10% withdrawal per year, a 7% withdrawal per year, a 5% withdrawal per year, and a 3% withdrawal per year over the next 30 years. And uh, when we plug that into our Monte Carlo analysis on our million dollars, with 10% withdrawal rate, you only there's only a chance that your assets will still be around in 30 years, about 20% chance. So two out of 10 times somebody still had money left over after taking 10% per year for 30 years. So <clears throat> it's pretty low odds. Uh, it could happen. But um, uh, I think it, it does incur a lot of risk and a lot of volatility. That would be basically 100% stocks. And that was the other thing we looked at, which was how, what's your portfolio going to look like? You could invest in 100% stocks, or option two was a 70-30 mix, or option three was a 50-50 mix. And so, by just as an interesting point, so if you were uh, option 100% stocks, as I mentioned, you have a 20% chance of that money still being there in 30 years. At 70-30, it's only about a 2% chance, and at 50-50, there's no chance of that money being around. Now, when you come down to a 7% withdrawal, uh, you end up with 
about a six, 55% chance of money being left over with 100% stocks, 35% with 70-30, 23% with the 50-50. So basically, you have a 5 out of 10 chance. You go from 2 out of 10 to 5 out of 10, a 50-50 chance that your money would be, still be there if you were 100% stocks. And then under scenario 3, we're taking out 5% per year. You get 8 out of 10 with 100% stocks. So 80% of the time, you still have money left over. And now the numbers start to look pretty good for the other scenarios, too. The 70-30, 78% chance, the 50-50, 74% chance. So you're still, uh, in all cases, you're going to have um, likely have some money left over at the end of the day at the 5% withdrawal. And then at 3% withdrawal, it's a guarantee there's going to be money left over. 10 out of 10 for all three scenarios. And... Um, so obviously the, the question is, well, how much money would be left over? And that's going to come back to, again, what is your goal with your portfolio? Is it growth to maintain it, deplete it, or, um, or a target? And so just out of curiosity, too, I looked at one other figure, which was what would happen if you just left the money for 30 years? You didn't actually need to touch your million dollars. Uh, in the 100% equities or stock portfolio, you'd have about $7 million. Your $1 million grew to seven. The 70-30 portfolio to 4.4 million, and the 50-50 portfolio to 3.6 million, about half of the other one. So, um, you know, the, the, this is an interesting dilemma that people face: is you know, how long can a million dollars last? And uh, it's so unique and individual for everybody. But really, your the great opportunity in the plan is to be able to run through a number of different what-if scenarios, and so we can illustrate for you and provide a comparison. You know, if you're taking this amount of money out of your million-dollar portfolio, here's how much we feel you would have left over at the end of the day, and here is the, the odds of a successful outcome. In other words, the odds of you having money left over and not running out before uh, your death. And I, and I think, you know, for a lot of people too, you know, age 85 seems too young to be consider running a plan to you think I think today we should be looking at age 95 as a what-if scenario uh, and, and that makes more sense in terms of planning to make sure your million dollars is still there and you don't run out um, so uh, ask your advisor about a Monte Carlo analysis on your portfolio this is sort of a stress test of where you are based on the income you're taking out the percentage withdrawals and the risk profile of your portfolio, and that'll give you some answers whether you are feeling confident or maybe you need to rethink your plan. It's interesting, Andy, when you look at that, if doctors went to a patient and said, okay, we're doing a Monte Carlo analysis, and if you were to do this, there's your chance of success, and let's say you were to exercise and so forth, but if somebody said you had a 75% chance that you would survive, you would think, okay, oh, that's not that great. I'd rather be close to 100. And I think that's the way we should look at somebody's retirement the same way as using the Monte Carlo analysis, saying, well, 75% sounds okay, but I'd rather be a lot closer to 100%. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, 
The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're going to talk about some tax tips here. Yes, it is the season, and it's hard to believe. Normally, this is something we'd be talking about, you know, mid-April, but here we are mid-May, and the deadline this year has been extended to June 1st. So there's a lot of people that have been basically waiting because they probably feel they owe money. And again, number one tax tip is just get that return filed, because if you do not get it filed, if you do owe money, there is a 5% penalty, plus 1% a month after that on anything you owe. So if you owed $1,000 extra, that's an extra $50 penalty for 5%. Now, the nice thing is you don't actually have to pay until September 1st this year. So if you did owe that $1,000, you, you can you know, wait until September 1st to write them that check for that 1000 because after that, then it will be charged 1% per month. So we have that little bit of a delay. But when it comes to tax planning, I know Andy and I, we, first thing we always look at when we're talking with clients is knowing your tax brackets because that's, in between not just yourself, but if you are married, common law, is your joint tax brackets, and trying to manage those brackets the best way we can. Because obviously, the more we can put into the lowest tax bracket, the more it saves you. So the lowest tax bracket, by the way, is 20%. And those, for, those are for individuals. You know, this is the 2019 tax brackets, between 20000 and 44000 Now, the next bracket is basically from 47000 to 77000 And that's for argument's sake, it's a 30% bracket, 29.65 to be exact. And so there's a, those catch most people, those two brackets. Well, then once you start earning more than 77000 there's a bunch of little brackets, but there's another major bracket from 95000 to 147000 and that bracket is 43.41%. So that one there is one that I look at when I'm trying to bring somebody's income down to uh, say 95,000. So if they're making say 120,000, I'd like to put in 25,000 in an RSP to get rid of that bracket. Now, again, if you're fortunate enough, your income's higher than that. Between 150 and 210,000, you're in a 48% tax bracket. And that terrible bracket, the $220,000 bracket, is a 53.53% tax bracket. Anything you earn over $220,000. Now, a lot of people say, "How do I, I'll never earn that kind of income. Well, the one that kind of nabs are people's estates. And that's what we've talked about many times in tax planning is trying to keep your income down so you don't fall into that bracket upon the second death. So if you and your wife or you and your husband and the first person dies, it doesn't really affect you, but the second death, it does. And if you've got a lot of money in RSPs or a cottage or et cetera, you want to try to manage that before that second death to avoid that bracket. So, service animals. Now, looking here, that's, there's a whole lot of medical expenses that can be claimed. Service animals are one of them. But there's a lot of others people just don't think of, and this is a huge bonus for people that can take deductions off their income tax. And basically, anything you can claim, once you've hit the minimum, um, the, the amount, that threshold for medical expenses, anything over that threshold, and it depends on your income. So it goes up the lowest income earner, but it's about 2500 if you max it out at. So once you're over that threshold, anything after that is a 20% savings. 
But there's a lot of different things I wasn't aware of, things such as an air conditioner can be written off as a medical expense if it's prescribed by a doctor. An air filter and, um, and a purifier can also qualify, again, needs a prescription. Funny enough, things such as athletic or fitness clubs do not qualify. You never will and never do. Even though they may long help you with your health and everything else, you have to then wait till you need a prescription for some other ailment because you weren't going to a fitness club, okay? But things such as bathroom aids, um, you, if you have a prescription, they would also qualify. Dentures and dental implants. So those people that have decided, okay, I'm going to get dental implants, those can be quite expensive. Um, you know, it's not unheard of to see somebody spend 10000 or more on dental implants, those are a medical deduction. Electrolysis, um, laser eye surgery, medical marijuana, these are all things that you can deduct. Um, Premiums paid to private health care. Your scooter is also medical deduction. So there's a lot of things. But again, supplements and vitamins do not qualify as a medical deduction. except for, funny enough, vitamin B12. I know there's vitamin B12 shots, and those do qualify. So anything such as uh, travel expenses to get medical service outside of Canada, whirlpool bath treatments do qualify. Now, this one's kind of hilarious in a way. They qualify if it's done by a medical practitioner. But what we find is a lot of people try to write off their hot tub. Does not count. You do not, unfortunately, get to your hot tub or spa does not qualify, even if you do need it move around so there's check through all the different ways you can look to see do you have certain expenses that do qualify for medical deduction and if so great because they do add up and they can be used in any 12-month period so it doesn't have to be a year end at december 31st but uh it's one of those things uh maybe if you google medical deductions or certain things that perhaps you're using and you wonder if they qualify Certainly go to the CRA site or just Google that and make sure you make sure it's Canadian laws, not U.S. laws, and to see if you can get that deduction. It all adds up, and I know uh, if it's a 10000 deduction, for example, uh, dental implants, that saves you $2,000. So, again, uh, enjoy doing your tax return, and uh, well, I'll, keep, I'll keep finding more tips for you for the next show. I'm going to try to fight for that hot tub rule. That's just not fair. I agree. I totally agree, Scott. All right. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And don't forget about their website, andyanddon.com. You can go there and ask old questions via the listener inquiry button and listen to old shows. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Enjoy your long weekend, everyone. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.